This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. Now, we all know branding is important. It's it's that unique identity you associate with a company, a business or a person. And it makes all the difference in the way you perceive them, you trust them and you engage with them. We also get how strong branding is intrinsically linked with higher customer acquisition rates, customer loyalty and increased sales. So branding is truly an important investment for any business. But how do you gauge just how well your brand is doing or your branding is doing? You know, do you really have strong branding or do you just feel strongly about your own brand? How do you measure brand strength and track its progress and potentially pivot when market sentiments shift through the seasons? Well, to talk to us about brand strength, I have online with me today Uri Snyder, Senior Vice President of Asia Pacific at SimilarWeb, a digital intelligence provider that helps businesses analyze performance and track brand strength and a whole lot more. Uri, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Audrey, for having me. I appreciate it. So I want to start with the basics on brand strength. Maybe you can tell us just what exactly does the term mean and why is it important for the success of a business? Sure. So I guess let's start a little bit at the beginning with what is a brand. And kind of as I was preparing for this conversation, I did a little bit of research into how do we define it. And one of the things that I like the best about uh, a definition given by, by one academic was it's the sum of all of the touch points that a specific company would have with their clientele. And they use the term touch points very specifically because of the diversity of communication with which a company will communicate with a client. So think about it in terms of um, the tone of a social media post or the imagery of a logo or even like the smell when you walk into a new car dealer. All of that is tied to the sum of the feelings of a brand. And when we talk about brand strength, what we really do is trying to put a measurement to that intrinsic or emotional effect that a brand creates and use that as a parameter to be able to compare and contrast between different players within a similar vertical. I mean, this is just incredibly valuable when you think about how companies can innovate and improve on something that is so important and fundamental to the way we all make decisions, but yet is emotional and and really something that is a labor of love, I would say. Mm, exactly. So, so that's brand strength. But we also hear some other terms thrown about when we talk about branding, right? Like brand equity. And then there's also brand strategy. Um, can you explain what these terms mean and how, they kind of, how they're kind of different from each other? Sure. I, I guess that there's, there's offshoots of the same general concept, right? Um, when we talk about um, how brand is affected brand is really built over time. It's something that starts kind of with an idea or a kernel and, and, and goes into all of the actions with, with, a, with, with which a company takes to really develop that sort of idea um, and then kind of grows from there. When we take a look at some of the best brands in the world, we see that they made a decision years and years in advance. They measured and tracked their performance relative to their idea and they stuck with that idea for years and years and years because when it comes to an emotional concept, Humans need to hear that and feel it repeated time and again, over and over again, and to be reinforced. So I would say that all of these concepts, when we talk about them, they're 
Um, they're all related to the core idea of what a brand is. And for example, you talked about brand strategy. Brand strategy is just really the idea behind how I would identify what those fundamentals are. And then you get to the tactical implications of like, how do I actually bring that to market? So in other words, uh, a great idea is uh, Apple. Apple is focused on quality. One of the easiest ways that they can do that is through warranty and through the genius bar. The genius bar, the feeling of support that you get. I've been an Apple customer for for you know, the past decade. And the one thing I'll always say is not only do the products last for a long time, but the customer service that I get gives me this feel of, of I am supported by a company that feels that their products are second to none and mm. will put investments and will put human beings actually behind that ideal. Um, so all of it goes together into this big mosaic that creates how we think about a brand on a day-to-day basis. Right. So, you know, even for me, I feel like when it comes to brand strength, maybe Apple is up there, but are there ways to kind of measure um, who's up there, who's not doing so well? You know, what are the traditional methods of measuring brand strength? Um, and, and are there any limitations to these metrics? Sure, it's a great question. There are lots of companies across the globe that make their livelihood in terms of brand strength and developing rubrics and frameworks around that. Um, when it comes to measuring brand strength, Um, The typical way that companies would go about that is through focus groups, through sending surveys. These are labors that are very intensive. They're very manual. They're very specific to the individual company. And I will say that, first of all, they take a lot of time. They are very expensive. They're typically done once a year. And if you think about the fact that, like, you know, All of these companies are focused on their brand. They're focused on it intently throughout the year. They're doing the same sorts of things and they only measure it once a year. There's very little change and it doesn't really move the needle fundamentally. It's also not tied to things that are very actionable at the end of the day. Um, Now, I, I will say, I think there's a lot of value in these traditional methods. I think that a lot of the questions that can be asked within these frameworks are very pointed to a specific brand. So in other words, let's say that, uh, I believe that one of my brand values is, um, you know, speed of service or something like that. I can ask questions that are very, very specific to that. And I can get down to whether or not my clientele actually identifies that they see that they feel that effort that I'm putting in. Um, but I will say that there are also a lot of, um, there are a lot of traits of these specific surveys or frameworks that are flawed. Number one is that it can't take so much time. It can't be once a year in a world that is evolving so much. It's got to be something quantitative. We are all at this point relying on data because of the various levels of innovation that have been made within the industry to drive the way that we think about the entire world. And that's really where SimilarWeb comes in. So a little bit about SimilarWeb, we're a market intelligence solution that really specializes in measuring the digital world. And we provide that measurement to companies all over the planet in various verticals to help them with sales, marketing, investment decisions, and just greater research overall into their strategy. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we really provide the day-to-day quantitative metrics that helps clients be able to understand their brand health more as a pulse as opposed to like an annual physical. That's Mm -hmm. really the way that I think about it. So as an example, um, Let's say that uh, you go into Google, you're looking for clothes, you want to buy a new shirt, a new dress, whatever the case may be. There's a big difference between you typing in dresses versus you typing in Zara dresses. Mm. There's a huge difference in that matter. The moment that you add the brand to it, it's very specific. You're actually relating to brand strength. 
all of the work that that company has done in terms of building in their strength led to that major focus and difference. And that has huge impact. So in terms of the actual impacts on tactics that are there, let's think about the fact that once you type in Zara addresses, is Zara going to be the first post? Are they going to be the one who's bidding on that keyword? Or is there going to be someone else who's bidding on that keyword and trying to steal their brand strength? Hmm. So there's a, a, a huge nuance that goes into this and varies dramatically with how companies have been measuring their brand strength previously versus some of the newer tactics that are taken that are um, real time mm. and that much closer align with the actual day-to-day tactics and are much more actionable than I think what they've had in the past at their fingertips. Right. You, you know, actually speaking about real time, I want to ask about tracking because like maybe the traditional uh, methods of measuring brand strength, m- tracking might not be a strong suit if you use those traditional methods. Right. Uh, and also pivoting. I mean, consumer behavior can change in the blink of an eye. I mean, look what happened over the course of the pandemic. Right. So how do you help businesses make quick changes to adapt to real time customer behavior? That's similar. Sure. I mean, the biggest advantage about data in a digital age is the methodologies by which, they, by with which they can get access to that information. So I provide my product to companies in one of three ways. They either get access to a software where we will build them a dashboard and all the metrics that they need to be able to track the health of their brand they have at their fingertips. Um, there's APIs, which basically plug into whatever other infrastructure they're using internally. So you know, I, I would say the, the biggest companies in the world have huge data warehouses internally where they get access to tons of third party as well as first party data that they combine into this big, um, I would say, 30,000 foot view of all of their activities. And so it's being fed in on a regular basis. And last is like data feeds, which is, again, that is, I would say, the most um, complex Mm. But it, it's it's real-time data at such a faster fundamental level. So let's say, um, as an example, let's say you're talking about investors, investors that are the most nuanced, the most complex. These are the people who truly are the smart money in every sense of the word. When you talk about a company like Apple, their brand is a huge component of their valuation. And for companies like this to be able to measure that on a recurring basis, to look for things like brand damage, like you talked about, for some of for some of these investors or even for some of these executives, being able to measure brand damage when it happens, as opposed to being able to talk about brand value, they're two totally separate sides of the coin. Um, and I don't want to pick out any names, but I think if you think about the landscape of companies and companies that have gotten themselves into hot water over the past years, you know, I don't know how many times you've seen companies that are huge really move the needle on brand value. Right. It's incremental steps taken over time. Brand damage can happen overnight. And the measurement of that damage is incredibly important. And again, that's that's one of the major reasons why clients have worked with us for so many years to focus on their brand and be able to understand the day to day nuances of that. All right. Um, It is time for us to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, we touch more on brand weakness and damage uh, and a whole lot more with Uri Snyder from SimilarWeb. All that and more happening on Resource Center. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. 
You are listening to Resource Center. This is Audrey Raj. Online with me today, I have Uri Snyder, Senior Vice President of Asia Pacific at Similar Web, and we are talking about brand strength. Now, Uri, um, you know, I understand that Similar Web recently conducted a study. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on brand strength, but I know you have uh, some data on consumer behavior and how they perceive brands. Do you have any interesting insights from that study to share? You know, any ASEAN, Southeast Asia? or Malaysian data to share on factors that contribute to brand strength? Sure. I mean, general human behavior and digital behavior is, is really what we do. So having data is never really an issue for us. Um, I, I would say that some of the interesting factors are, um, first of all, like things that are very obvious, especially from being in the region. Um, mobile app is incredibly important to the way that people in the region think about the products that they utilize on a day-to-day basis. So metrics, for instance, where in the U.S. are much less important. So think about uh, mobile app installs and the retention and DAO relative to those mobile apps is really important. Um, I would say that there is a, a growing phenomenon, however, where desktop specifically through Google search is a really interesting way by which we've been able to track brand strength. So again, going back to my earlier example, I mm-hmm. think within the region, there's a very strong trend Again, to juxtapose this relative to other regions, you know, I've, I've had a lot of experience working with the U.S. and Europe, but whereas I think direct desktop traffic is something that's very preeminent in other markets, uh, one thing that we see in the region is Google search traffic, but where you use the brand specifically within your search mm-hmm. is something that we see as like a big indicator in the region as well. So a lot of times when when we're doing brand strength analysis within APAC generally, it's kind of taking a look at those trends of how does the Google search using branded terms specifically relate to their app strength and tying those two metrics together. That's something really important. Um, I would say that that's the biggest difference when I take a look at the data versus other markets where the primary factor of where I can track that is about engagement from direct traffic. So in other words, I'm directly going to a brand's website and then the methodology by which I stay on that page and, you know, either my time on site or my number of pages, that's that that's a big difference between, I would say, how the average American demonstrates how brand impacts their life versus how you know, people in different parts of Asia impact that specific KPI. Although I'll say, and something I learn every single day, mm-hmm. um, every country has its own dynamics. Everybody has different behavior. And I think that something that is really important, not only for, for those of us who work in the region, but for those of us who are newcomers to the region, to remember that the way that people in India or in North Asia or the way that people interact in, in Thailand or Singapore and Malaysia, it, it, it's not homogenous. and is very much something to which you need to understand the nuances of how people interact with brands within those specific countries. Right. Now, Uri, um, you mentioned um, Apple earlier. You mentioned Zara uh, in the that search example, right? But just so we understand the bar, the standards when it comes to companies you believe have strong brand strength, um, can you give us some examples of clients with with strong brand strength, you know, and maybe also tell us the factors that you feel contribute to their success. Give us some examples. Tell us some stories. Sure. Um, I think one of, you know, I think one of my favorite examples, and I'll even say, you know, a company to which I, I'm, 
uh, a heavy devotee and buyer and client myself is Samsung. And I think I've loved what Samsung has done over the years. I think that Samsung has made themselves accessible to a wide variety of clienteles and their brand imagery that they're using, I think, resonates strongly with people. When I take a look at their metrics online, you can see the stickiness by which that strategy is taking root. I think that they made a decision about the way in which they wanted to talk to people, that they are sort of um, an incredibly innovative brand for the everyday person. They, they don't have... Uh, um, I guess the same level of arrogance as some of the other players. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think we know who we're talking about, but mm-hmm. um, it's just a very very different strategy. To which the most impressive thing to have seen is as both a client of ours as well as as like I mean my phone specifically that I've got now is a Samsung. Everything I have in my house is Samsung. Um, is just the steadfastness by which they've stuck to that message and stuck to it over time, and I think it's resonated so much in Asia and I think has grown overseas tremendously. I mean, the amount of people that I know that have adopted Samsung products overseas has been huge. When I take a look at their search strategy, so getting back to like, you know, my area of expertise, which is digital, getting, talking to their search strategy, the accessibility of their portals, the availability of their products, both in terms of a D2C as well as a, a, you know, a, um, a marketplace or retailer strategy, it's incredibly robust. And they're very, very nuanced in terms of the complex ways in which they go to market, all of which ties into the versatility. I'll say the other example is is going back to their D2C component. They made their D2C an amazing mixture of digital as well as brick and mortar. So now you're seeing a lot more Samsung stores pop up and that Mm -hmm. aligns great in terms of the the brand values they show you in store tied to the brand values of their D2C portal, specifically online. Um, and to me, I just I, I think that it's a great case study in taking a brand and watching how they've evolved over time. They've stuck with that strategy. They've had a strong competitor that everybody knows about globally. And in spite of all of that, they had stuck to their individual values. Um, and I, I think like that the proof is in the pudding. You can see it in in the way in which that company has grown and and the increased market penetration all over the world. Mm. Okay, so that's a good example. And I I don't want to, I I think it might be difficult for you to actually name a brand um, on the flip side who are not doing so well. But I do want to bring the conversation back to brand weakness and damage. Um, How do you exactly identify a problem that's leading to brand weakness? You know, how can you tell? And, And what signs can you look out for and is there anything we can do to kind of repair brand damage or improve if there's brand weakness? Sure. Um, I think there's a few things that you can do to look out for brand damage. Um, and you're right. I don't want to get into too many examples, but I'll try to provide some color and, and people can can use their imagination. First of all, like when companies are going through brand damage, I'm very aware of that. And I think it's a very human thing. I think people love to kind of throw stones Um like there's a real human impact to this. And I also, you know, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I, I'm a big fan of Rocky. I'm a big fan of the comeback kid. Um, so I, I, I'm very aware of that. I, I think relative to signs of brand damage, first of all, there's the obvious ones. They're the things that you see in the news, right? And then your ability to be able to measure that. Then there's the more insidious stuff. Um, whether we're talking about comments that pop up on social media or the type of things that I track, which are like refund and return So in other words, the amount of people who are actually going to those pages, either on their website or on their app to look for potential refund and return customer service tickets, like these are the other things that, that make a dramatic impact on brand damage. Um, you can also track it a lot when you see stuff like, um, 
the the volume of people who are searching for brand name reviews, brand names, customer service problems, brand names, angry sort of sentiment. Like you can track a lot of sentiment via Google. Um, people treat Google, and by the way, YouTube. Can I also say mm. YouTube is a phenomenal platform by which people are tracking for reviews, sentiment, um, and also just looking to air grievances. Like, I think that like, there's a, a general feeling of the public of like powerlessness. I bought your product, you mistreated me, but I'm just a number. What am I going to do about it? Where your answer is social media. And again, YouTube primarily is a great way by which people can, it's almost like the emotionality, it's the catharsis of being able to talk about that. Um, so it's similar web. One of the things that we do is, you know, when brands are going through that, we help them measure that impact across channels. So not only how people are interacting with their D2C site versus others. So in other words, you know, guys, you've had a 25% increase in the amount of people who are looking to refund product line X as compared to the same sort of phenomenon at your competitors. But then being able to take a look at that sentiment across, you know, social channels, across, across you know, Google search and combining that into some sort of combined metric that makes sense for them. Um, that's how we help people weather storms. You know, I think that there are um, there are definitely opportunities where brands are not deserving uh, of a second chance. But I think those are few and far between. I think that that companies are human endeavors. And at the end of the day, um, companies and people make mistakes. And I think that your ability to be able to measure that impact, hear the voice of your customer. It's not always so easy to hear the voice of your customer. You know, like there's there's always a sea of complaints. It's, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to be able to weed out that's a complaint I need to listen to. And they're actually giving me good feedback about what to do about it. And I think that that's a very important thing for companies to have um, partners who actually are with them in the trenches through those periods and can help them respond to customer feedback in a way in which um, they can actually go on offense and provide greater value to customers in that time. I don't think I'm the only one who likes a comeback story. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons why um, you know, we've been very successful over the past decade or so that I've been with the business. Right. Now, Yuri, just before I let you go, um, some closing remarks. I'm hoping that you'll give us uh, some tips or uh, like a how-to, some efforts that businesses can undertake to kind of differentiate their brand from competitors uh, and establish strong brand strength uh, or you know, a unique value proposition, at least with your digital consumers. Sure. Uh, I'm going to speak to a little bit more to the SMB market that's very like near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. um, number one is take the time in advance to do what the professionals do, which is to actually put the ideas to paper as to what your brand values are. That is the start mm -hmm. to everything. I think there's a lot of times where people like begin, they have an idea of what this brand is in their mind, but they don't take the time to put to paper what that is. And not only is that an exercise in like when I write something, when I do that work, that I, I, I begin the process of realizing, but it gives you the ability to be able to go back to it on a regular basis. And to me, so it, it starts with, with an idea that you put to paper and then a plan. So I want to be able to say that one of my brand values is customer service, something I feel very, very strong about as an American, and I feel very at home in Singapore with. Um, what does that mean? How am I going to be able to communicate that value to my clients? So how do I actually put that to practice? What investments am I going to make in order to do that? So now I've put that all on paper. Um, I got to revisit it. I got to find a way to measure it over time. 
And I need to be able to go back and constantly be able to iterate on that idea so that people feel that as a brand strength, that grows. And that is something that is, is just super important. Once you get to a point to which you can, you can put it to paper, you can define what the action is, and I can measure it, you make it like a machine. Your brand is this intrinsic value to which is, I mean, you could literally put a cost to it. You know, at the end of the day, like we live in this very hyper competitive environment. There are so many people that are providing copycat services relative to all the different offerings that are out there in the market. And one of the unique things is our brand. It's our brand, which is how do people feel, you know, like if you're a, um, if you're a local coffee shop, I'm actually very sad. My local coffee shop just closed. Right. And, And it went into Something as simple as the environment, into how people said hello to me, how, how they knew my order. Like they, it's, it's the little things. And so I think being able to tie your brand to a niche type of client and then get into that process where you operate exactly like the major Fortune 500 companies do in terms of put it to paper, set an action, figure out how to track it. Every single quarter I go back and do that and I continuously iterate on that process. And then I get to the end of the year and I say, how well did I do? What am I going to do differently this year in order to, to, to move the needle, if you will, on those specific things? Um, I, I believe very strongly in planning. I believe very strong, strongly in forward planning. So it's not just this isn't a three-month endeavor. This isn't a one-week endeavor. This is a lifetime endeavor. Um, and I think once you could do that, you'll see that, that the brand becomes a part of you. It becomes the way that you act on a day-to-day basis. It becomes the way in which you, you interact with clients, the way you interact with suppliers, um, and I think will only lead you to success in, in everything that you do with your business. All right. Thank you so much for that, Uri. Uh, for more information on SimilarWeb, is there a website that we can go to? Sure. You can go to SimilarWeb.com. Um, all the information that you would need, there's there's live chat on the website that will connect you with uh, with a product specialist. You could also find us in pretty much every single social media channel that's available. The one thing that I'll say about SimilarWeb, especially from an SMB perspective, um, we pride ourselves in providing a massive amount of data online for free. It has been one of the major differentiators that we offer. Um, it's one of the ways in which we feel that we provide a global service and was one of the things that we believed in from the start, that we believed that data was not only something that should be provided to the biggest companies in the world, it was something that everyday people should have access to, to be able to understand the digital world and make decisions about how they can have greater impact. So I really encourage everybody to go to the website. You will be amazed by the amount of information at your fingertips without paying a nickel. All right. And the website again is? SimilarWeb.com. All right. And if you missed out on any part of this show, you can go to our website. That's BFM.my. You can also find all our podcasts on the brand new BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. I've been speaking with Uri Snyder, Senior Vice President of Asia Pacific at SimilarWeb. My name is Audrey Raj, and this has been Resource Center on Enterprise BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.